Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Up Delete. Today's guest is the amazing Jennifer Pasteloff. She travels the world with her unique workshop On Being Human, which is now also a book published by Penguin Random House. On Being Human is an inspirational memoir. It's about how her years of waitressing taught her to seek out unexpected beauty, about how her deafness taught her to listen fiercely, and it's a book about being vulnerable and how our imperfections can lead to a life of happiness. Her workshops are a hybrid of yoga, writing, sharing aloud and occasionally dance. She has been featured on Good Morning America, New York Magazine, Health Magazine, CBS News and her unique style of teaching has sold out to thousands of women all over the world. She recently led a workshop in Philadelphia with previous Control-Alt-Delete guest Elizabeth Gilbert and she is also the founder of the online magazine The Manifestation. She's also the founder of No Bullshit Motherhood on Instagram. Jen and I found each other somehow on Instagram and I just knew this would be a really interesting and honest conversation because Jen lives her life in a fascinating way. She lives it differently and she makes her own rules, which I love. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I knew it would be honest and open. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It really helps other people discover it. Thank you again. And here is the episode. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome and welcome to London. I love it. My happy place. Just jumping in because I absolutely loved your book on being human was like all over my Instagram in the best possible way. And I just wanted to start with asking you about this amazing community you've built online because, you know, a lot of people have got a presence and they've got people following, but like you've done it in such a different way. And the people that follow you is very special. When did it start and what has it grown into? Mm-hmm. It started <laughs> probably around, gosh, I don't know, let's call it 2008 on Facebook. I had a, I was waiting tables for 800 years at a restaurant in Hollywood. And one of my coworkers was really young. She was in college and she said, there's something called Facebook. And I kept calling it the Facebook. She's like, but it's just for college kids. And she told me about it. And Somehow I got on it. And when I started teaching yoga, it was a game changer for me because I really used it as a tool to connect and hustle. And it really actually built my business back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still does social media uh, or not. It doesn't build it so much anymore as it helps sustain it. But back then it was I'm naturally such a connector. And it was just this tool I found that mm-hmm. was able to use. So first it was Facebook and then Instagram. And you were it, like an early adopter to it. Not Instagram, actually. I mean, I thought Instagram was just it's like a, an app to edit photos so I used to take photos and then just edit them with the cool filters I had no idea that you follow people and no idea until maybe five years ago yeah and you use it in a really lovely way because you genuinely use it to connect and and inspire but also YouTube you're quite early that sort of sitting down and chatting to people about real stuff yes and I stopped doing that I don't I don't know if it's just busyness or laziness or all of it motherhood but um I used to make videos and um and then put them on YouTube I'm talking. I, I love, like, I actually rewatched some of them recently and I was like, I'm kind of upset I didn't get to them earlier because the things that you're talking about, I feel like we're quite early to, everyone's talking about them now, but you were there like years ago talking about this stuff. It's funny you say that because I say, when I give a lot of talks, I always say I was like a pioneer 10 years ago. You know, the way I escaped the restaurant was through teaching yoga. I became this sort of well known yoga teacher, but I started talking very publicly about mental health. Mm-hmm. 
and antidepressants and the fact that I drink and that I drink coffee and I curse and, you know, all these sort of things that people weren't doing, but especially the mental health. And I was, you know, it was shocking back then. It certainly was scary yes so so true so I feel like now it's great that it's normalized but then you feel like almost everyone's talking about it to different degrees absolutely and it's like my friend used this expression once and I loved it she called it curated vulnerability and it's just like it makes me just so crabby it's this feeling of like people write things like raw post alert I'm about to be very vulnerable and then they write something that you know they spent like seven hours editing it's it's the same thing they're just using different language to do what they did before to make it seem like they're being so candid or whatever and isn't that kind of the opposite of being raw like <laughs> editing it for two hours I know it's fine whatever but it's like at the end of the day it's like unfollow then if something annoys you stop looking at it yes um, good <laughs> advice just for the listeners who might not know because what I found so fascinating about you as well is you're such an amazing listener that's part of your business and your world that you Mm -hmm. you listen to people so so well but you also have lost your hearing and and I just that that duality is like really fascinating and I just wondered if you could talk about it a bit my hearing loss has gotten progressively worse as I've gotten older. So now, without my hearing aids, which obviously I have on right now, I can't hear. But even with them, I rely on reading lips. Sitting here with you now, because we have these headphones on, this is actually great. If everything sounded like this, it would be amazing. But it is ironic, and one of the things I also say in my chats is that it excites me that I've made a career out of listening, being someone who's deaf, and deaf with a small d, meaning I wasn't born deaf and I wasn't raised in the deaf community and with sign language but because it reeks of possibility so if I can do this if I can make a career out of listening when I can't bloody hear um what can you do it's amazing yeah and I also can't believe I just added bloody in because I'm in London like I've never said that in my life (laughs) but yeah when I'm in America I say all sorts of things rad and I'm like I called something like a pantsuit which is like trouser suit over here oh yeah or like vacay Uh, Like the other day, my husband said, you look smart. I've never, you know, that's such a British thing. Anyway, yeah, it's, um, I hope that, dear listeners, it inspires possibility in you because if truly I could have never imagined this. It's some days I have tinnitus as well and it makes me want to die. You know, it's so maddening and hard and I've built a career around it. It's amazing. It really is. And the fact that your book really is about embracing all these human elements like life is messy and hard for so many of us and I think that's why your book's done so well isn't it because it is just embracing the real side of not like the fluffy be human it's like you're really going in to yeah the real I, stuff. I think so I hope so I mean that's what I've always done and that's what I always want to keep doing I mean that's not to say I'll never write a novel I see you have a novel coming out and poetry but I absolutely I really don't see another alternative and Another thing that's really exciting is I built a whole career out of simply being myself. Mm-hmm. That's so, so cool. I'm not saying I'm a millionaire, yeah. but like, how yes. cool is that? I, what I also love about you is the no bullshit thing. Like, I think you're known for kind of cutting through that. And I watched a talk that you did, I think maybe last year online, where you basically said that you're kind of sick of like platitudes, you know, the whole um, it happened for a reason and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I don't believe that. No, I think that's nonsense. No offense if you listening believe that. But, you know, things happen and we can make art from them and we can find gifts in them. Maybe sometimes you can't. But I don't think I've had too many things in my life happen. I've had too many friends that have lost babies. I have a sister who has a son with a fatal genetic disorder. I don't think it's like it happened for a reason. I really bristle at that expression. 
after something, we can look back and find things and make art and find beauty. But, you know, that suggests there's a grand plan. And I just don't believe that. Yeah, because you also share the stories of many people on your Instagram who are suffering. And it would be a weird thing to say. Bingo. If you just said, oh, you know, like that almost puts up a blame on someone. It's such a privileged I do my best to use my platform for change and to facilitate help and, you know, and direct action mostly. So I work with my friend Simone Gordon. She calls herself the Black Fairy Godmother. She's amazing. But like, you know, I I like feed this family and I raise money like directly to help get diapers. So it's like the money people are sending in goes directly somewhere. Yeah, to say, well, this happens for a reason. It's very privileged and it's just not true. Mm. What what reason? To give that person character? Yeah, it really made me check myself. I wonder if sometimes I just say things because they're, they're a phrase. Of course. And, I, been... and it just comes out of my mouth and I'm like, why did I just say that? Absolutely. It took me a long time, you know, not until my 40s, really, maybe late 30s, to really check the things that I said. You know, when I first do, started doing this work these workshops, I worshipped Wayne Dyer. I still do. He's passed away, but I repeated everything he said verbatim. And as the years went on and I started finding my own voice, I realized, oh, actually, some of the things I don't agree with. But I had just been, and I'm, I'm talking literal, parrot. And I would say, oh, Wayne Dyer says, and just parrot. And then I finally, I was like, well, actually, I don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's something so liberating about that. You talk in the book about being able to change your mind, like that feeling of like you are allowed to change. One of the biggest epiphanies of my entire life is you get to change your mind. And it's really important, especially for women. Yes. Oh, you're going to have kids or you're not going to have kids and your value and your worth. And yeah, you, you get to change your mind. You could do whatever you want. And I'm not saying you're going to be rich. There's nothing to do with that. But you get to change your mind about who you are, what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about someone that you are good friends with, someone that I've interviewed, Liz Gilbert, who uh, has love- given you amazing quotes yes, for, for your work her. as well. I heard her recently say in an interview that she wants to live like all of life, even even the bad stuff. And obviously bad stuff's happened to her recently in terms of her like losing people she loves. And it kind of reminded me of your work because I feel you want people to go all in, don't you, to the to the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And would you say that you're like, an empath, like someone that feels like maybe more than most people? Absolutely. And yet, I'm also really, um, I'm able to really ground myself or I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do. Do you know right, what I mean? Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah, be able yeah. to sit in front of a woman who, who's both two of her sons died in a car crash last year. And so absolutely, but I'm really able to not, to my ability or to my awareness, um, let it destroy me. But absolutely. How does that, how do you not take that on completely? I know that you're not saying that you're like a therapist per se, but, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing, isn't it, that you're, it's transferring in a way onto you? I mean, I think one of the things is I do give myself a lot of downtime, much to everyone's disbelief, because people look at me online and they think I'm so busy, which I am. But also, a lot of the times I'm just sitting in my house. I'm not, I don't go out. You've spoken before about how, like, being busy isn't necessarily no, like yeah, a cool and I'm not, thing. I'm not one of those people at all. And everyone knows that about me who like, if we want to have lunch, you know, I'm not the person that's like, oh, let's get together in February, which is like, you know, months out. I don't overbook myself to the best of my ability. So when I'm done working and when I'm done doing workshops, I come home and I really just try to chill. I sleep a lot. I nap a lot. But the other reason that's perhaps the more truthful reason is something that I always thought was wrong with me. I've never said this out loud, actually. But, you know, when my father died and the way that I dealt with it was I said, I don't care, which obviously wasn't true. But I shut down. So I have a weird ability to shut down. 
And so I think there's a slight part of that that happens. It's not that I'm not listening, but I'm able to disconnect in a weird way as much as I'm able to take it on. Mm. So I still am fully present and listening. But I, after so many years of, of being this way, I'm able to let things not immobilize me. But that can get dangerous because sometimes things will happen and I will not register. I still struggle with feeling things, mm -hmm. which is why I do what I do and why I share right. about it. When we've been a certain way our whole lives, physiologically, it's not impossible, but it's hard to rewire. So my first instinct when something bad or sad or painful is I, I shut down, I clench my jaw and I kind of float away. So there's this like small degree when things are really, really painful that I'm able to completely stay What I mean by shutting down is I don't start bawling right there on the mat or, right, or right. in the chair. Imagine the things that people share and tell me are so hard that most people say to me, I don't know how you sit there and you don't lose your shit. This is what I'm saying. This is why I'm able to do that. Because I have like this thing that I do that it's not that I'm not listening, but I'm, I somehow am so programmed to like disassociate isn't even the right word, but detach a bit. So I'm still utterly present, but I just don't. And part of it also is I'm on antidepressants, so I don't like start bawling right then and there. But I think I focus on the person in front of me so much that I'm just listening to them, mm -hmm. you know. Because a friend of mine went through something terrible this year and I realized that she needed me to not break down in front of her. And that she needed me to just be there and not actually like be strong. And then she could cry, but I wouldn't. Absolutely, because then she has to comfort you. And then, and then it would make, make it about me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's not to say that we can't show emotion, but absolutely. The, the thing I think people need the most is to be heard and be listened to and to be seen, to bear witness. So that's what I try to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically what I'm saying is that it was something that I always thought was wrong with me. Has I've been able to use it as one of my gifts. Yes. You know, I thought it was broken. I remember, you know, so many times people have done things for me and I get, you know, like surprises or they bought me a new computer or whatever it is. And I feel this immense pressure that they're watching me to wait for my reaction. And I always worry my reaction isn't going to be good enough. Come on, why don't you cry? Or like, and it's mm. just so hard for me to express that, which is so interesting because what I do is teach vulnerability for a living. Yeah, but it's so authentic that you're just doing it your way. And I think that's what that's people it. resonate with. That's it. That's what my ne my whole next book that I'm working on, the proposal, is going to be about living life on your own terms, doing it your own way. There's no one way to do anything. Mm -hmm. There's no one way to be a person in the world. I love that. Maybe that's the next title. I was going to call it Should is an Asshole. But my, oh, I, we're I like going, that as well. I do too. <laughs> my agent, we're going back and forth and having the curse word in the title because of algorithms and stuff. But that is one of my favorite expressions. And I really, especially as I get older, I try to live my life according to that don't shit on me and I won't shit on myself I really loved what you said and it was a few years ago so I'm pretty sure you haven't changed your mind on it when you spoke about how you would never say to a woman you don't know what love is if you're not a mother oh girl and you were like I just said that last night and you were like heavily pregnant and you were like I'm never gonna I was being interviewed I don't know the last six months are a blur I was either giving a talk or being interviewed and I said the same thing I said oh I know I was on a I was on a motherhood panel this was hysterical last week and I was very honest and I said you know before I had a baby because I did not think I was going to have kids oh, and I was like a poster child for you don't have to have kids and you're still whole and then I got pregnant and Interestingly enough, my friend Nathan, who you just met, we were eating just down the street at Tapas Place four years ago. And I were sitting there and I said, Nate, I think I'm pregnant. Mm. Yeah. I promise I will never be that woman that says, you don't know what love is until you have a child, because that's not true. And also, I would never, I would do my best not to lose my identity 
And both things I think I'm doing a pretty good job at. Because it's interesting seeing you say that at a time when you're obviously like haven't given birth yet to then go through that and try and stick to those things and be able to do it. That's quite interesting. Because you never know what could have happened. You could have been like, do you know what? I changed my mind. Like, I go back on that. No, I changed my mind that I had a child when I didn't think I wanted one. And luckily, I was blessed enough to be able to do that easily without IVF or any of that stuff. It was an accident, you know. But I knew. I knew the way that I loved in the world and the way that I felt things. That And, and sure, and it may sound cliche to say it's different, but... I would never say it to someone, and nor do I think it, you don't know what love is. That is the most cockamamie nonsense I've ever heard in my life. It's just different kind of love. You know, having my son is the best thing I've ever done. And also, as someone who suffered with depression my whole life and grief, it's he brings me such joy. And I don't know if I'd ever experienced joy before. Mm. But I still won't say I didn't know love before. Because the book is really about love, this book, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers to like the last few pages, but it's it ba- absolutely is. But it's basically like if you look back on your life and think of like the to-do list of things you've done, that's the big thing that you'll be proud of. Mm-hmm. And we should all be. That came from I was having a breakdown many years ago when I was working at the restaurant. I had woke up one night in the middle of the night. You know, the middle of the night panics are the worst. Mm. And I had been a scholar at NYU and I had, you know, I'd had this lofty idea of where I'd end up in my life. And I think I'd been at the restaurant 10 years. I had dropped out. I had one year left of school, never finished. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I went sweating. Oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? So years later, I was writing an essay and it dawned on me. I remember saying that and I remember thinking, okay, when I ask one final, what have I done? Let my answer be, I've done love. And had I realized that back when I was waitressing, I wouldn't have hated myself so much. But hindsight, 2020. But that immediately, that's like immediately calming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it just frees you up to be like, I've done that. That is enough. Always enough. Yeah. And I mean, I've made it an addendum. I say now at the end of my day and at the end of my life. So mm. like, so. And what does that look right. like every day? It looks like anything different mm. all the time. Mm. But it's easy to get trapped in thinking the other things matter, you know, how many followers you have and how much money you have and if you own a home and all this other stuff. And Mm. it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I wanted to ask you just about that, actually, when you said about waking up in the middle of the night, because you've spoken very honestly about panic attacks over the years. And for someone maybe listening in who's going through that, I mean, is it fair to say that that's just something that someone has to manage kind of all through their life like there's no magic fix like and there's nothing broken it's just like a management do you still get them now I do I had one last night I just texted my best friend in the middle of the night last time having a panic attack and she she's eight hours behind she said about what I said about nothing it just woke up and middle of the night's bad but well first let me say obviously I'm not a doctor I just play one on tv just kidding (laughs) so it's different for everybody you know Mm -hmm. for a while I used to take Xanax and I realized it was making me depressed some people get their anxiety and their panic attacks and check with meditation or a combination of things. And some people, it's it's different for every single person. For me, I think last night I know why I had one. I know I, I flew in from L.A., I was dehydrated. I drank too much. I had about 8,000... On the flight. And when I landed. Because I, I do that. I have to like literally get so drunk on a flight these oh, days. <laughs> yeah, I had, you know, and I and I told you I um I did this once, in, or maybe I didn't tell you, I did this once in a lifetime thing I've never done. I was trying to... I've been traveling so much. I have diamond status on Delta wow. and I was about to lose it. And so I was like, damn it. So I upgraded my son and I, not my husband, <laughs> just my son and I, because I couldn't afford it. So we had the bets. 
And I was like, how am I ever going to explain to my three-year-old? He's just always going to be like, mommy, where's the bed? You know, but I, I'm in first class. So the wine was really good. The food was good. But anyway, so, and then I had all this salt. I had all these French fries and then I had all these chips. And I woke up in the night dehydrated, too much alcohol, hadn't slept in two days. So it was just, you know, I always say in the book, I talk about something called the inner asshole. And yeah. the inner asshole is always loudest for me when I'm stressed out, when I'm tired. And yesterday I checked up all the boxes. And so I woke up in the middle of the night and it was just this, all of a sudden it was like, I'm going to die. I'm never going to write another book. And then I woke up. I fell back asleep at five. I woke up at like 10 in the morning and I was like, okay, it's not so bad. It's daylight. Or as my son would say, it's morning time. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, I think it's different for every person. I, I have tools now. I reach out. I ask for help. It sounds like you know exactly what to do when it's happening now, and, which is so good, isn't it, to know that? Well, yeah, there's something so beautiful about aging. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, some of the things are annoying. You know, my constant gray hair that I have that I die. I don't have to, but I choose to. And I have no age radar, by the way. I'm one of those people that I I don't know how old anyone is. Fabulous. My friend's joining it's us really for weird. dinner tonight and she's 62 and you're going to, every time I'm with her, I she's so ageless. And we were talking about this last night. I'm the same way. I only know because I Googled you to show Nathan and I was like, oh, she's young. She's like 30. You know, <laughs> I'm so happy to be 30, by the way. 20s are just not, not oh, I like, hated them. oh, they were horrible. 40 was fabulous. But the point is, is that, you know, the more years I've had on the planet, I like myself better. I understand myself better. I know myself better. And therefore, I can get out of things quicker. I can I can recognize, uh, what do you want to call it, the forest for the trees. And I'm able to ground myself easier than I was when I was 30. I was a hot mess. Mm. <laughs> it's a good feeling when you like know yourself so well. But I was doing a bit of research last night on your book, and I found like one of the most highlighted sentences in your book. Oh, how do you know? Oh, was it like online? You I was I was just looking at like how many people had quoted it back in how do you do how do you in on goodreads you're such a millennial okay but it's and i love this quote as well instead of getting caught up in those who don't like you get caught up in who does it's much more much more interesting emily mcdowell fascinating famous card writer made a card out of that oh i love her yeah instead of getting caught up in who doesn't like you get up and caught up in who does it's much more interesting and i think especially in these times of social media it's so weird i still do it sometimes i'm like oh do they unfollow me they don't like me what and then i spend like three hours thinking about that person and like all why? the reasons why they don't like you yes I call it the one in the 100. If there's 100 people who love you and there's one who doesn't, who do you focus on? If I'm honest, if you're honest, we go, okay, I will focus on the person who doesn't like me. But how about for 30 seconds or five minutes instead of three hours? Instead of letting it obsess me or shut me down or it's like, mm, you know. Yeah, because I've been trying to focus on, you know, when you um, lose a little bit of like who you are for a minute and you're just floating and you're like, wait, what am I again? Absolutely. I, I'm trying to always imagine me through the lenses of my friends and like that's who I am. Instead of through the lens of like loads of strangers. Absolutely. Because then I'm like, oh, I, that, I immediately I just feel like me again. I mean, I, I do that in the book too and in my workshops. And um, I call it in the voice of someone who loves you. What I do is I have you visualize someone. And I do this before I leave my house. You know, I have you visualize someone who loves you. Close your eyes and really connect. It feels good and safe and warm and right. Then I have them actually write a letter to themselves in the voice of that person. That's now, really cool. It's amazing. And what comes up is so powerful. And I've been working in bigger groups. And so I don't have time to do the whole letter. So I have people do one sentence. You know, let's say you pick your mother. If you could see what I'd see, you'd know. And you finish it in the voice of her. And it's just a reset. It's a reminder of who you really are. 
Do you think that more people need to kind of, not a should thing, but just in general, I don't think we're there yet where every single person understands that this is a part maybe of like a a self-care thing. We go to the gym, we go on holidays, but I feel like everyone should do a workshop like that. I absolutely, I mean, yes. I guess that's what you're on a mission to do, like Mm -hmm. to reach as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, I started expanding and this was always my dream and it's happening I wasn't delusional in thinking that I'd become a millionaire from a book, or if you're listening, you don't. I mean, it's one in a million, really. Liz Gilbert. (laughs) Hi, Liz. (laughs) But um, ultimately, what I'm doing, whether I'm speaking or workshops, and with the workshops, I love it with all my heart and soul. I can't do as many as I've been doing because it's exhausting. And, And because of my hearing loss, I work so hard to hear in this big group. It just takes everything out of me. Mm. And so I've had this goal, which is like, I want to keep doing it, but just less and then supplement that with speaking gigs. And that's happening. Yes. But within the speaking gigs, I will, I will stay exactly true to that same message, just becoming more human, being more yourself. It's a really interesting one when with someone like you and also someone like Liz Gilbert, where everything's very pure and everything's very real and very like from the heart. But on the other side of the page, like you're very ambitious. Yeah, I mean, I've, I... <laughs> and it's great to see both of those together. Absolutely. You can be both. I mean, that's another message in the book. The whole book is about this idea of and. You know, I'm someone who struggles with depression and anxiety and I teach what are labeled as inspirational workshops. Oh, I'm deaf and I'm the most amazing listener you've ever met, you know, so it's like this yeah. idea of both. Yeah, I'm certainly ambitious. I'm, I wish I was more. I, I feel I spend, and I talk about this in the book, but I spend a lot of time waiting for things to come to me. And they do a lot, but it's dangerous trap mm-hmm. instead of, you know, I've never been an A-type personality and, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And so... I wish I was a bit more like that, though. It's funny. Well, we can meet halfway. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a lovely thing when people kind of go with the flow more. And I'm quite, like, regimented with, like, being in control all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm well, control's, like, you know, in the title. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the most opposite of that. So, you know, the grass is always greener. When I meet people that are more like your personality, they always say they were more like me. And I feel I would give anything to be more organized and detailed and, you know, the the other aspects of your personality that make you who you are. But that's why the message of the book is like, we're all so different. Mm -hmm. And we've all just got stuff. And it's just like accepting all of it. And we're also so the same, yeah. you know, so the details are different. But when you look in someone's eyes and, you know, and listen to them and we're all just the same. I mean, except some psychopaths out there. But <laughs> If you're listening. But well, for anyone listening who feels like maybe they could have a bit more connection in their life, because I do feel like we're in a time where it would be quite easy to feel very alone. I mean, you were just saying that you like tapped someone on the shoulder earlier who you recognised from the airport and you were like, hey, is there anything that you think that people can just do a bit more in their daily life just to bring that connection because I know scientifically we are happier if a stranger says like I like your shoes or like even this morning I was at the train station and I was like morning to the guy and he was like I'm feeling grateful today and I was like me too he said that yeah and I had the best day I love that like it was the most amazing exchange of just like I've woken up it's the morning still and that set my day up I love that one is look up Look up more, you know, we all, oh gosh, everyone's just looking down at their phone all the time because I, I mean, yes, it's an addiction. I also think everyone's so afraid when people are amazed by how I am in the world. I'm always interested at why they're so amazed. And it always turns out that most of the time it's fear. They're afraid of what someone would think or how they'll come across. 
So a big thing is caring less what people think. Notice I did not say stop caring what people think because I don't think that's truthful, not for me. Caring less. So letting go, if you want to call your ego or, or whatever. Yeah, so I saw this guy in the airport and I saw him today in London. That's weird. What are the odds? That's just weird. In Los Angeles, you know, it's like, hey, you're that. Oh, my God. I saw you. And hey, and we exchanged numbers. And why would I not say hello? That's just fascinating that I ran into him. And people respond nicely to someone who's nice to them. Of course they do. And um, interestingly, when I, I did a workshop on October 1st in Philadelphia with Liz Gilbert, and at the end of the workshop, I said to everyone, now... Exchange information with someone before you leave, anyone, whether it's giving them your email, your phone number, your Instagram, your website, a little note that says, hello, I like your shirt. And Liz grabbed the mic. She goes, I love that you said that because I was going to say that too. (laughs) And she said, but what I want you to think about is not to get caught up in what if they don't like me? What if they don't call me? She said, it's about who you like. I love that. You know, so many times it's always about what will they think? Mm -hmm. Well, forget that. You don't know and you're never going to know and it doesn't matter. I'm going to say hello. Because we need to turn the tables a bit more back on that. Yeah. Yeah, And so I always, you know, I had this really cool thing happen where um, last week I was with, um, I'm part of Shape magazine. I don't know. You guys have that here, right? I think we do. Yes. Yeah. Something called Women Run the World. And I was at this really fancy resort that I could never afford if I wasn't there as employee. And we were leaving. I brought my mother. I get to bring a guest. And I brought my mother for her birthday. Very fancy, exclusive, you know, ridiculously amazing place. But like the shuttle that takes you from the place to the airport is like, a minivan, you know, and my mom's behind me and I'm in front. And then so there's two seats next to each of us. And this beautiful woman sits down next to me who I had never met before. I didn't see her at the resort. And we started talking. And I'm not kidding. Within like five minutes, she started crying because I said something to her that really moved her. And she was, who even are you? And we exchange info. We have texted every day. She's like, I love you. And her husband's a you know, huge Hollywood producer. But she's like, I've never met anyone like you before. And what world are we living in? Are people just so afraid? to talk to people i think they are it's fascinating to me because it's not like i'm not doing anything i'm not acting crazy or forgive the expression or or um i'm literally just you know looking at someone's like going how are you or or whatever it is she started telling me her mother's dying of cancer and i think i reached in my bag and i gave her and i little i got you bracelet and i think she was just so you're a stranger and and she's like beneath ever like Every every surface is so, like, professional and we're all, like, showing our best side. And sometimes I just think, you know, when you're in, like, a big meeting and there's, like, ten people in a meeting, I'm, I'm just, like... Everyone here like has a life and loads Absolutely. of weird stuff going on, and we're all here going do 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 doing our work. But like something really bad could be going on at home, or someone Absolutely. ill, or yeah. I always think about that. I think about that for a couple reasons. One is having my profound hearing loss and the way I get judged, and I do because I do not present as a deaf person. When you hang out with me, you so get it because it's annoying. Because every two seconds I say what, but. In a coffee shop, for example, they ask me my name, but I don't hear, what's your name? You know, they, mm. they, so it's, I constantly have to go, okay, where do I do this? Where do I make up a story about someone or judge someone before I know, you know, everybody has something. This person thinks I'm just not paying attention. I think I'm better than they are. I'm an airhead, whatever it is, when really I just can't hear. The other thing is actually working in the restaurant. I worked in this really trendy Los Angeles restaurant. So many jerks came in and it was just so easy to get irritated. People would come in with this entitlement, lots of movie stars. and But so many people, lovely people came in 
in and there was a hospital right next door. And often like someone would be, someone would, was being, I can't even remember, just a real jerk. Turns out their mother, I think she was a teenager even, her mother was dying next door. And I'll never forget, I mean, this had to be, I was maybe 25 at the time, but I thought, huh, okay. You just don't know. And so that's just a reminder to me is too, is just to be really careful because we're so contagious of, of how I'm being in the world. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a, there's, I think there's an essay but like by David Foster Wallace, I think it is, about that and how someone's having like a meltdown with their kid in the supermarket. Like, have a moment to think how hard that must be instead of being like, oh, you know. I know. I mean, my you know, my nephew, he has a rare genetic disorder called Prader-Willi syndrome. He's missing the 15th chromosome. And so one of the ways it manifests is that he's starving to death all the time. Like, he could eat himself to death. It's just a padlock the refrigerator and i mean it's it's a nightmare she can't turn her back for a second break in the neighbor's houses to try to get food it's hard So, and it also, he's also autistic and he also has other behavioral issues, but the food one's the worst because it, it's painful. But a lot of times they'll have meltdowns in the supermarket and my sister has to get really firm or yell and, you know, people will judge. It's like, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. It's true. By the way, on that note of losing like the ego and worrying about what people think of you, I was watching a video of you doing a karaoke yoga session, but my immediate thought was that looks so fun. And then my second thought was I could never do that. Bullshit. Yeah, no, I I definitely thought I can do that. It was just I immediately thought like, oh, everyone will look at me and I'll feel really embarrassed, but it looks so fun and I wish I just didn't care as much. I love that you've said that because the truth is most people feel that way, but and that's why I do it. And it takes usually literally 10 seconds. We all start singing at once and you forget. I can't wait. There's no there's no it. solos. That's a thing. And so it's magic. So 10, 30 seconds and no one cares what anyone sounds like or looks like. And I think, what if we all lived our lives more this way? Yeah. That's why I always say dare to be a dork. Yes. It's really inspired me. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to actively be, like, going into those environments and being, just letting go. Because one of my favorite quotes, and I said it in the book, is, it's worse than you think. They're not thinking about you at all. Every time I get in my head and I think, oh, you know, what are they thinking about me? I say that to myself and it kind of gets me in check. Yes. No one's going to be looking at me. They're going to be enjoying themselves. Yeah, and people are too caught up in their own selves. Exactly. So, last question. This might be hard because I know you've been on, like, a massive tour and you've been all over the place. You've been traveling all over the place. But what's your favorite what's your favorite kind of moment that's come out of the book so far mm. you've probably had loads someone you've met or someone you've- well I don't know if my workshop I did with Elizabeth Gilbert came out of the book perhaps I mean we planned it a while ago but that was one of the most beautiful profound things we did a free workshop which is mind-blowing and it was very nice you know everyone got a yoga mat and a journal and lunch provided it wasn't I mean it was like a big deal and 150 women of women who normally wouldn't be able to afford it or wouldn't do that for themselves so that was Amazing. one of the most powerful and profound things I've ever done where was that hosted Philadelphia oh, cool I was leading a retreat in Italy I flew all the way home on September 29th from Italy to Los Angeles and then on September 30th I flew to Philadelphia so the day after the workshop I got violently ill just dehydrated exhausted you know I had just been going going but it's been the most beautiful experience of my life obviously having my son was too but very very different obviously yeah he grew in my belly but I didn't make him you know he's his own person like this is something I made and now I could see you know how it's like touching people and connecting people and I don't think I'm any kind of magic guru or anything like that I just particularly good at providing a space or creating a container or a place or wherever you want to call it for people to Mm -hmm. connect. Yes. 
like a nexus and that's exciting to me it's really exciting so yeah it's just been connecting with people it's been beautiful and exhilarating and exhausting and amazing and disappointing and delicious and it's everything and I guess that's what's so brilliant about books is they and what you do even just on Instagram even like bringing people together in a place where everyone gets it is so cool it's about being human yeah you know on that note the book is available now in the UK and in the US and all over and all over <laughs> order it now on being human by Jennifer Pasteloff thank you so much thank you thank you